Father, thank you so much for what you've given us already today, both physically and spiritually. And now as we once more come to learn just a little bit more, please fill us with your Holy Spirit that we might see, hear, and feel your very presence. For we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we talked about overcoming sin. And some people have a real problem in this area, and how do they do it? Remember, one of the things is because they have so little real connection with Christ. This is the answer to all of it, is have that connection with Jesus. The Bible tells us nobody should ever say he's sinless. Isn't that right? And we even have people, some people will say, well, even Ellen White says we need to be careful saying we're saved. But you take that out of context. Can we say that we're saved? Without any question. Yes. Is it because we're good enough? No. Jesus said, I tell you this, that you may know you have eternal life. He that hath the Son hath life. Amen. So he said we can know we have it, not for anything we've done, but for him. And so when we reach the point that we're proud of the fact that we are saved, I think we're in trouble. But when Satan comes and says, do you really think you're going to be in heaven? We can look at him and say, yes. Why? Jesus said so. When we talk about overcoming known sins, we're not talking about being sinless. Okay, do you all understand that? Even if a person was able to stop sinning today, completely, would he or she still not be sinless because of their sinful nature? It's our nature. So we're going to be sinful until Christ comes and changes this sinful nature into a sinless nature. Does that make sense to everybody, okay? Because people can just misconstrue so much of this stuff. I've even heard some say no one will ever really overcome sin. Look at Paul speaking of 1 Timothy 1.5. Now, they're presuming Paul is saying, I keep on sinning all the time. But is that what Paul said there? He said, I am the chief of sinners. Didn't say he was keeping right on sinning, but he admitted the fact that, hey, I'm not perfect. I'm the chief of all sinners. And so as a result, we can have more than enough evidence in other places in the Bible that Paul knew the victory over sin through the power of God. He knew what the victory was. But he never ever said he was sinless. And he didn't say he kept on sinning. And so there's a difference. No one who claims holiness is really holy. Remember the other night I said, I had one sister come up to me and said she hadn't sinned in three months. You know, praise God. You know, all I told her, I says, well, you keep working with Jesus and he'll just keep you going in the right direction. What else are you going to say, right? I mean, if you point out that immediately what she said made her a sinner, you wouldn't make friends, you'd just make enemies, amen? So you point her back to the source. Those who are registered as holy in the books of heaven are not aware of the fact 
Did you know that? We're not going to realize we've made it. They are the last ones to tell of their goodness. That comes from Faith I Live By, page 140. See, will we reach a point that we are living without sin? Yes, through Jesus. Will we really recognize it? No, we won't. A matter of fact, we're told that Satan's going to come and try to convince us there's something we haven't yet turned over, and it's going to be called the time of Jacob's trouble, okay? And, and, and Satan's going to be right. There's nothing right about us. There's nothing perfect about us. What do we have to claim? Jesus. Jesus. I'm going to go to heaven because of Jesus. And when we understand that, what a difference it makes. Even though we are never to claim to be sinless, we still have the opportunity available today to overcome known sins. Is it possible? It is possible. It's even necessary. It's our privilege, and most of all, it's God's purpose for us. It really is. God wants us to live a life that is an example of Jesus. Many sins which people believe can be and must be stopped now. Now just think about it for a minute. How many of you believe if a person is drinking and they drink too much, you know, how many of you believe God can give them the power to stop drinking so that they can be baptized? Do you believe that? Okay, great. How about if we have one that's smoking? Can God give them the power? Should we baptize people who are drinking and smoking? Some cases. But you know what will happen if you do? They'll make the commitment that by God's grace I'll never smoke another one. And then, you know, the next day, if they're lucky, they've made it that long. They smoke one and then what happens? Satan puts you in a point of depression that you're going to be so far down you'll want to just give up. Okay? You're better off to work with the person. But can God give them the power? Oh, yeah. It's like, you know, C.D. Brooks. I think I told this story here. You know, C.D. Brooks was a pastor down in Southern California, and a knock came on the pastor's door. And the fellow came in, and he told C.D., he says, I want you to remove my name from the books. And he said, why? Well, he got kind of quiet, and then he said, well, I'm smoking. And C.D. says, oh, you're smoking? He said, well, when I was baptized, I said, by God's grace, I'll never smoke another cigarette. And he said, "Uh, you know, I'm still smoking. It's been almost three years. And C.D. said, well, now, when you were baptized, how many cigarettes were you smoking? He said, about three to four packs a day. He said, how many cigarettes are you smoking now? He says, about three or four cigarettes a day. And C.D. looked at him and said, You want to give up now while you're winning? (laughs) Now that took him back. You know what I'm saying? It's not what you expect the preacher to say, right? He said, listen, you're winning. Jesus is giving you the victory and Satan wants you to give up completely so you'll go back where you were. He said, let me make a deal with you. He said, let's start praying together. And he said, let's give it another six months. And in six months, if you're still smoking, I'll take your name off the books. So the guy said, okay. And so they begin to meet daily and pray. Well, before the six months was up, CD got transferred to Florida. Okay? 
And he'd been there about a month, and about one o'clock in the morning, the phone rang, and it went like this. I did it, I did it, I did it. And C.D. says, well, who is this, and what did you do? So he told him who it was, and he said, I haven't smoked a single cigarette in over a month. And C.D. said, see, Satan just wanted you to give up. Lord was winning the battle, you just weren't, okay, realizing it. It's better to work with someone in an area. And, you know, smoking and drinking is easy to pick on, you know, uh, of all the things. You know, I sometimes wonder. Uh, I get in some circles, John, and I've been there, you know, they want them to make sure they don't smoke for six months before they're baptized. And I look at them and I say, well, now, just how much weight should brother so-and-so lose before we baptize him? That kind of takes them back. You know, and how long should we wait? About six months to make sure, you know, sister so-and-so has stopped gossiping? You know what I mean? <laughs> and, I mean, they just kind of step back a little bit. And I said, why is it you pick on smoking? You know, it's all sin, amen? You know, we, we need to be careful in relationship. But we can rush. But we believe God can give the power for this. How about stealing and killing? I mean, if the guy says, okay, because I killed five people last year, I'm going to cut it down to two this year, and next year just one, and the year after I'll be perfect. How many of you are buying that one? Huh? And we could even go so far as, you know, how about adultery? You know, I've only got three girlfriends. And honey, if you'll marry me, I promise you, one of them's gone today. And in six months, I'll have another one gone, and within two years, honey, you'll be the only one. How many are buying that one, huh? If we believe God can have the power to help us stop these things, why don't we believe that he can give us the power to stop these kinds of sin now? How about just the little things in our life? Huh? If he can give us the power... To stop being an adulterer, can't he also give us the power to stop, you know, a tongue that we can't even begin to control? Sure we can, okay? And we need to remember, it's not us doing it, it's Jesus doing it in us. And it doesn't matter how little the sin is, sin still sin to God. And the secret is turning our life over to Jesus and believing he can do it. I didn't say you could do it. He can do it. And if you allow him to, he will. He'll change us. It may take some time. Hello. But he will do it. He will do it. There will be those when Jesus comes who are living without sin. They'll be the last ones to know it. They won't claim to be but they'll be living like Jesus because Jesus is living in their hearts. They won't be these self-righteous. I won't even go there, but anyway. Then faith must be the focus of our understanding in how to overcome known sins. Would you agree with that? Faith is where our focus needs to be. Please keep in mind, faith is not something we work up. It's never self-generated. 
It is something that comes naturally from knowing God. If we put all of our efforts into knowing God, faith will always spring out of the faith relationship with him. Where should we put our effort then? Knowing him. That's where we need to put our efforts, in knowing him. If you follow this through to its logical conclusion, you don't put your efforts into trying to keep from sinning either. But you keep your attention on getting faith and that relationship. Stop sinning is God's problem. Your problem is don't commit the sin he can't forgive. And that's trying to live your righteous life by your own efforts. Stop it. You can't. Admit it and let him come in and do it. And he'll change you completely. Faith cometh by hearing and by hearing by the word of God. That's what the Bible tells us. When are the conditions of overcoming known sin? What are they? All right, and if we look at this, number one. First of all, admit and acknowledge the thing to be sin. Sometimes we just kind of gloss over the little things that we like, you know, or the things that, well, after all, I'm only human, you know. But first of all, admit that it is sin. And no one can do it for you. Have you ever noticed that each has their own timetable? Huh? And until you come to the place that you are being convicted by the Holy Spirit that a certain thing is wrong for you, you will never be successful in giving it up. Somebody else cannot be your conscience. I promised my wife and I've counseled others. Don't be your husband's conscience and don't you be your wife's conscience. You got enough getting your own self there. Okay? Let each be convinced in their own mind. All you'll do is end up being an irritation and cause a fight. Okay? Leave them alone. That's all we can do. And, and you know... If they're not where you are and you go to get something to eat and they order something that, you know, we really ought not to eat, just smile, pay the bill, and enjoy the company. Amen? That's what Jesus would do. Now, he wouldn't have some, but he ain't going to condemn them for doing it. But I'm going to tell you, just being in his presence will be enough condemnation. You don't have to do it. You will, God knows best how to deal with each one of us better than we know ourselves. I thank him daily he doesn't open up the Venetian blind all at one time. If he did, I'd give up. I don't know about how you feel. If he showed us everything that has to be changed in our lives, it would be so discouraging, folks. We couldn't handle it. And so he just does it a little bit at a time, one slat at a time. God operates through intelligence, folks. Understanding each one of us better than we know ourselves. And as a result, little by little, one by one, he shows us the problems, areas in our life. That's the way God works. And he gives us the victory in each one of these areas and works with us patiently until we're ready to move on to the next step. That's the way God works. Number two. 
We must realize our helplessness to do anything at all about it except one thing, and that is give up. Give up what you ask, okay? On ourselves and on anything we can do about our sins, all we can accept one thing, come to Jesus just as we are. Our hearts, it says in Steps to Christ, our hearts are evil. We cannot change them, educate them, or culturalize them. The experience of the will, human effort, all these have a proper sphere, but here they are powerless. That's a very positive statement. Let it sink in, because the first thing we need to do if we're going to get help is realize we're helpless. Okay? Tell me, where is the sin problem, on the inside or the outside? It's on the inside, isn't it? It is our hearts that are in trouble. We are incapable of doing anything to change our hearts. To will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. This is what Paul said in Romans 7. Okay? I know I want to do it, but how to do it, I don't find the answer. And of course he goes on and says, but I've discovered through Christ I can do all things, isn't he? He admits he is helpless, though. And that's important for us. Step two is to totally admit we're helpless in doing any of it. Number three, we must figure out the right fight to engage in. To fight the battle where the battle is instead of where it isn't. Romans 8.3 talks about the spirit and the flesh. This is a critical point. There is a big difference here. We must learn that the difference of fighting the fight of faith or trusting in God, walking in the Spirit, and the fight of sin, trying to fight the fight of your own flesh with your own strength. If you fight the fight of faith with all your willpower, you will conquer Testimonies, Volume 5. Fight the fight of what? Not sin. Faith. Faith in who? Jesus. Which means if I am using all of my power in finding faith or a trusting relationship, I have no willpower left to fight sin or the devil, and I don't have to, as God says, that is my department. I can and I have overcome sin and the devil. Let me give you the victory. But aren't we told to strive to enter in? Yes. Strive for what, though? Let's look this text up. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if any man or person be in Christ, he is a new creature... Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become what? New. So what should we strive to be doing? To be in Christ. Absolutely. There in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 6. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 6. Here the Bible tells us John the great love disciple. You know. 3 and verse 6. Notice. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. 
Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, and neither knows him. Now you see, the devil can take that out of context, twist it around, and make you feel terrible. Okay? What is the verse telling us? If we are asking Jesus to come in and do what he promised to do, then in the sphere that we are currently in, we are considered by God sinless. Hello? But if you try to fight it on your own, instead of accepting what Jesus can do, you don't even know him. That's what the Bible is telling us. You don't even know him. You're not going to stop anything. If anything, you're going to become worse. And so what you're really saying is, we don't even know him. But it's by giving in we know him. We must come to the realization that a continuing faith relationship requires service and outreach. Strength to resist evil is best gained by aggressive service. Acts of the Apostle 105. Those who minister to others will be ministered unto by Christ the chief shepherd. They will drink of the living water, be satisfied. Their great topic of interest will be how to save souls that are ready to perish. Desire of Ages, page 641. The effort to bless others will react in a blessing upon yourself. This was the purpose of God giving us a part to act in the plan of salvation. Steps to Christ, page 79. So, how do we become closer to Jesus? <laughs> Share somebody else with what you've been, he's been doing for you. You know, isn't that right? I didn't say go out and give a Bible study on the 2300 days now. I said, share with somebody else what Jesus is doing for you. Okay? And the more you do it, the more real it will become, and the more you will find him working in you. That's why he gave us the privilege to work together with him, is it might become real. And some of you in this room know there's no better way to learn anything than have to teach somebody else. Amen? Boy, if you're on the spot and you've got to teach somebody, it'll really help you. Number five, we must know that God justifies. He does not condemn. Please get that through your mind. Satan comes and he condemns you and he makes you feel terrible. He makes you feel you want to give up. But God never, ever condemns, folks. He justifies. Satan is the condemner. Revelation 12.10 tells us that. It has been proven, even psychologically, that condemnation has within it something that keeps a person bound up in the same problem and almost forces him or her to continue with them. Isn't it amazing, modern psychology, what does it get you to do? Keep concentrating on the problem, Keep talking about the problem going over and over and over and over. What did this say? Even psychologically, that's not right because it all will do is keep you down. Okay? It is the atmosphere of a loving acceptance. The opposite of condemnation that gives the ability to grow away from the problem. That is why Paul saw the difference between the two fights, the fight of faith and the fight of sin. And he said, let's go over there, Romans 8. We spent some time there last night. 
Let's spend some more, a little bit more today. Romans 8. That whole chapter, let me tell you, is a powerful chapter. Romans chapter 8. And we find here, you know, beginning with verse, well, of course, it talks about verse 1. Therefore, there is no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. There's how much condemnation? None. Zero. Then we read in verse 31. What shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? How much? Nothing. Okay? (laughs) It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, that rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also make intercession for us. It isn't Christ condemning, it's Satan. Christ is always there making intercession for us. Then Paul says this, Who can separate us then from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, persecution or famine, Nakedness, peril, or sword. As it is written, for, they, for thy sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep but for the slaughter. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loves us. Paul says, I am persuaded. <laughs> I think we've been singing that song, haven't we? I think Paul was persuaded. He knew who he believed. He said, I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor power, nor things present, nor the things to come, nor heights, nor depths, or any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. If God be for us, who can be against us? When the devil comes and wants to get you down, when he's condemning and all you can hear is what he's condemning is, turn to Jesus and just say, Jesus, would you make him leave me alone? Okay? Just go away and leave me alone. You know, the devil can't stay where we invoke the power of Jesus. You realize that, can't you? You know? It's amazing. You want things to change? The devil's all over you. You're down in a hump and you don't know what to do. Just start singing. Jesus loves me, this I know. I guarantee you before you finish the song, it will have changed. Hello. I know that sounds too simple, but it's a fact. The devil will go away because why? You're reminding him how much Jesus loves you. It's such a powerful thing. How do we abide in Christ? Not only to go to Him in the first place and turn our problems to Him, but how to stay there. Why? Whosoever abideth in Him, what? Sin not. It's just that simple. Don't complicate it with other meanings. Take what the Bible says as it reads. 
If we abide in him, we will sin not. If we abide in Christ, if the love of God dwells in us, our feelings, our thoughts, our purposes, our actions will be in harmony with the will of God. Steps to Christ, page 61. Does that back up what Scripture said? (laughs) This doesn't happen overnight. And it means more than the experience of conversion. Look at Abraham or Elijah. It didn't happen overnight with them either or with the disciples. It doesn't happen with us either. Only the Holy Spirit can do this, not us in any way. We can only consent for Christ to do the work through the Holy Spirit. How do we give our, con- uh, our consent? By continuing the relationship with Jesus day by day. As we do this day after day, we will depend more and more on Him and less and less on ourselves. And that's what our daily work has to be. Number seven, to understand the victory over known sin, we must know God's loving presence. Nothing in overcoming is greater than the actual sense of God's loving presence. Nothing is overcoming is greater than the actual sense of God's presence. What do I mean? Let's say that I have an alcohol problem, okay? And I really get thirsty and I decide, okay, well, I'm going to go down and I'll just have one drink. And I pull up, you know, at the bar and and I get out of the car and I start to go in and I see this car pull up. And who is it? It's the conference president. I thought I was weak. But all of a sudden, I'm fine. I'm strong. Hello. You know, two kids are out parked. (laughs) They're about to give in, you know, to sin. They are so weak, they just can't overcome. About that time, a car shows up, and in the car, it's mom and dad. They thought they were weak, but all of a sudden, they're strong. Are you getting the point? If you reach the point that you believe in God's presence, that He's there with you, and you understand and you can feel his presence, there's times when you're going to feel weak, but all of a sudden you're going to be strong because of Jesus. There's nothing greater than to help fight sin than is to admit and to accept the fact he's actually there. What a difference it makes. The presence of someone who cares Isn't it possible that there is some fear in these two examples, you know? There is more power in love than fear. Love is stronger than fear. There is no fear in God, the Bible says. What keeps a man faithful to his wife when he's 10,000 miles away? Love, that's the only thing. See, you might not do it in town because you might get caught. Hello? But if you're 10,000 miles away, who's going to catch you? What is it that keeps you? Love. And it's the same way with God. Love is the thing that makes the difference. As a shield from temptation and an inspiration to purity and truth, no other influence can equal the sense of God's presence. Education, page 255. It backs up over and over and over again 
this love relationship that we need to have. Last condition. (laughs) Nevertheless, it's not the least. It is to realize what sin does to Jesus. If we could only constantly realize what sin does to Jesus, what a difference it would make. We see Peter cursing, swearing. He is trying to defend himself. He is looking away from Jesus, but suddenly his eyes meet Jesus. He sees the look of pity and disappointment on that face. He realizes in spite of the thorns, the spitting and the slapping, he has dealt Jesus the hardest blow of all. There is no censure, no condemnation, no anger in the look from Jesus. And Peter's heart is broken. Do you see the difference? God never condemns, he justifies. And when we look into the face of Jesus and we see what sin can do to him and how it breaks his heart, we don't do it. I mean, girls, listen. How many things in your relationship have you changed because of the guy you married? And admit it, whether you want to out loud or not, some of them you really didn't like making the change. Huh? I'm a man, I can do it in reverse, okay? I can tell you I've made changes I didn't particularly like, okay? But I've made them, why? Because I love. You know, I love living in the mountains, I want you to know. I just absolutely love it. But my wife is going bonkers up there. See, she's a city girl from way back, okay? She wants to move to San Francisco, and I absolutely positively said, no. Okay. (laughs) So we're compromising, and we're moving to Sacramento. We want to get a place where we can have a nice garden and stuff. Why? If I really love living in the mountains, why in the world would I agree to move? Because I love her. And I can tell you she's done some things for me because she loves me too. Okay, This is the way it has to be with God. If we can realize what sin does to him, you know, it'll just break our hearts and we just won't want to do it. I hope you'll join with me in a prayer asking God to help us see him as there, ever present, and what sin does to him and Jesus. And believe me, if that doesn't do it, nothing else is going to. I'll just tell you that in advance. A loving relationship with Jesus Christ on a daily basis. Getting to know him as your best friend, your big brother, okay? And, and he's coming back again to take you home to daddy. And if you can realize he's there with you wherever you go, whatever you're doing, I don't care what it is, he's there. It'll change. Not because you're trying hard, just because he's there. And that's what we need, okay? Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If you'll but hear my voice, Open the door and invite me to come in. I'll walk with you, talk with you, eat with you, 
and the work that I began, I will finish it for you. And one day, we're going to walk right through the gates of the city because you love us, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.